the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Good morning. Happy March 25th. We're moving ever so closer to first quarter earnings. Having a decent year so far. A little up, a little down, a little up. Strong start of the day. A couple pieces of economic data, no doubt, that will be easy to chat about. The S&P 500 up 10 right now, Dow up 106, the NASDAQ up 34 points, 10-year Treasury sits at 2.75. As it gets above 3, it starts to potentially slow the economy as borrowing costs start going up. Under 3, it's still pretty cheap borrowing cost, is what it's telling you. So, let's see, U.S. home prices dip in January for the third straight month. We'll talk a little bit about that. That's tied towards the Case-Shiller report. Again, does it tie towards your neighborhood? Probably not. It hits 20 of the biggest markets in the United States. It hits similarly owned, exactly owned homes. So it's not, it is not, it's probably the best read on real estate. But again, is there a difference between Palo Alto and San Francisco? Sure. Is there a difference between, you know, uh, I'll give you one, let's say, Moraga? Or... Stockton in San Francisco? Yeah. So it's not going to be a, a clear cut in any way, shape, or form, but we'll talk about it. So yesterday we had a lot of the new tech companies starting to get hit. And I'll call some of the new tech names like Workday, um, the Netflixes of the world, a lot of the, the dot-com companies that were Web 2.0, Dropbox is coming public. King is coming public. King's coming public very cheap. Now, again, I think we could all laugh at Candy Crush and how they were selling virtual cows, but King's a little bit different. They're profitable. Profitable, reasonable valuation. Maybe it's a trading vehicle. Um, Pick up the phone, give me a call, and let's talk about it. So yesterday, a lot of the companies that have been high flyers, the Amazons, the Netflix, the Teslas, started pulling back. But not so much the old tech companies, like the Microsofts. Uh, People are feeling comfortable in those. People are feeling comfortable in utilities. People are feeling uncomfortable in biotechs. Last year, the biotech index was up 65%, doubling the S&P 500's return. It soared another 20% through February 27th of this year. And then it's it's down 11% in four days. 
That's not a big shocker, is it? Something goes up 85%, you're going to have to pay the piper at some point in time. So do we hit the correction, or do we say, buy the dip? Does this market still have upside? I think the market's more expensive this year than it was last year, which was more expensive than it was the previous year. So I, I, I don't think it's screaming value, but I think there's reason still to stay invested, maybe to shift somewhat. Um, the G8 became the G7. Boom, lop, there goes Russia. And Europe kind of went higher on this news, it seems. A little bit more maybe the bullish bias that came out of Germany tied towards their business climate survey. So, um, markets like France, England, Finland, Italy, Switzerland, all basically up on Germany. Germany up, U.S. says, you know what, sweet, we may not have to carry this, this load all by ourselves. There's not a lot of great corporate news out there this morning, so it's not going to be one of those days where we have stories like, well, there are some, some side stories. Alcoa recently said, demand for aluminum for big trucks, like big, big trucks, like things you see on highways carrying goods. Not like your neighbors pick up. But demand for a big engine, big rigs, is is big right now. So that little hint tells us, like, names like Cummins Engine should have a good quarter. It doesn't mean go out there and sell everything you got and buy Cummins. I'm not saying that. There's a little Fed talk out there today from... Fed talk being Federal Reserve Bank President Charles Blosser. He thinks short-term interest rates should hit 4% at the end of 2016. Hmm. He thinks that they'll hit 3% at the end of 2015. He noted that his projections for rates are higher than most of his colleagues. He's the highest for 2015. He's the second highest on 2016. Remember last week, Janet Yellen did a little bit of chit-chat, jibber-jabber. And uh, he was surprised by the market's reaction. He said, you know, her timetable of a rate hike six months after the end of bond buying wasn't a wildly unexpected time frame. I'm a bit surprised the market reacted the way it did, so says he. Um, And again, I guess that's what it is. A little more economic data out there today. Consumer confidence rose in the month of March from a 78 reading to an 82 reading from February to March. Economists had expected the index to reach 78.4, so better than expected. Confidence is funny. It's, you know, people become a little more optimistic or a little less optimistic, and their spending patterns change. More consumers were upbeat about their future job prospects, but less optimistic about income growth. Overall, consumers expect the economy to continue to improve and believe it may even pick up a little steam in the months ahead. Something that we're liking about the stock market this year is that government spending on the federal level is probably going to be flat. Tough to get anything new approved. But states last year had a big surplus as the economy continued to do okay. And with that surplus, states are going to increase a little bit of spending, not necessarily go crazy, but increase a little bit of spending. So that's one of the, the cases that you can make on the stock market. Now you get into this, the nitty-gritty. New U.S. homes sold at an annual rate of 440000 in February, down 3.3% from January's one-year high. 
Um, sales climbed 37% in the Midwest after plunging in January, while sales in the Northeast, South, and West all did okay. Median price edged up four-tenths of a percent to $261,800. Supply of new homes inventory rose to 5.2 months at the current sales pace from five. So a little more inventory out there. That basically means that you'll have a little bit more choices. New home sales are 1.1% lower compared to one year ago, reflecting weaker demand because of higher mortgage rates and home prices, as well as the bitterly cold, cold winter. Now, that was new home sales. Homes in 20 cities from the Case-Shiller Index rose at uh, a very nice case on a year-over-year basis, but on month-to-month, you could definitely see weakening, up 13.2% from January uh, 2013. Smallest gain since August after rising 13.4%. Keep in mind, these numbers are big because of investors coming in and getting at some of the short sales, of which, in a higher interest rate scenario, which the Fed is expecting, which we've already talked about, a higher interest rate scenario might mean that uh, home values go down. They should, because people could buy less. And thus, the investors should start to escape those homes, put them up for sale, and uh, increase the inventory, giving us, again, more options. Too much inventory bad, too little inventory bad. Somewhere right around six months is ideal. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. I've got a big event coming up Thursday night. Not many seats left, so if you want to sign up for it, uh, there will be no walk-ins. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's Thursday night. Uh, you can get more information about the event in Santa Clara at the Marriott at robblack.com. This is to 83.5 from 76.5. You're Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, money, investing in more. It's an interesting way of looking at things when you see both sides of the story. Owning a home is a great thing, especially when it goes up. When everyone else's home goes up and you don't own a home, renting is a scary thing. Renting is a wonderful thing when home markets are falling. It's a pretty damn scary thing if you're a homeowner and things are falling apart. You've got to look at things both ways, and you've got to understand that that's why there's no right answers. There's just compromises. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. SP 500 is up 11. The Dow is up 103. The NASDAQ up 38. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. He's with NewFocusFinancial.com, or you can find him at NewFocusFinancial.com. He's with NewFocusFinancial. Talking about transitioning to a retirement portfolio, I say that you accumulate wealth from age 20 to 50, and you start managing wealth from age 50 to 100. And again, that's not set in stone, but that's the general concept. Mr. Burton, transitioning to a retirement portfolio. What's your thoughts? Well, when I walk people through this, I've got to give them some general market history, which sometimes is boring, but it, it surprises me how many people Bore me. don't really realize this stuff. So. The market, as you talk about all the time, is positive 70% of the time. Right. Three out of 10 years, negative. Seven out of 10 years, positive. So pretty good odds. Best odds on the planet. Right. And when you're building wealth, you know, up until your mid to late 50s, it, it, timing the market doesn't really matter a lot. Right. The thing that you need to focus on is 
the asset classes that have done really well over 10 years but are doing really poorly in the last one to three, those are the ones you should actually be buying. Um, so it's not – it's really you can control your – your asset allocation with where you're sending your your new purchases. Give me an example of that. Well, so every three years, typically asset classes change. Um, they go through a cycle. So whether it's looking at sectors of the economy like telecom, like technology, healthcare. If you look at, uh, there's a chart that I talk about a lot called Callan Periodic Table of Investments. Right. And you can see that whether it's an asset class chart or a sector chart, that asset class or sector will be the best place to be for two to three years in a row, and within two to three years, it'll be one of the worst places to be. And so um, the real active wealth builder, the way they rebalance their portfolios will be changing where they're contributing their money and buying the stuff that looks like it's on sale. Where everybody else is running away from it, that's what they're buying that year. Okay? I'm with you. In retirement, timing is everything. Because if you go in, you build this balanced portfolio over these years and years of, of work, and then you just dollar cost average in reverse. In other words, you sell every month instead of buy every month. Well, if you sell during the downturns, you're selling. That is gone. That's lost potential forever. So if you would have had to sell your portfolio between 2008 and 2009, when the market was down 40-plus percent, and then you had to sell 5 or 10% to live, you're never going to recover. Right. That's gone. It's out of your portfolio forever. So that's why, and when you look back at the stock market history, there's only been two periods in a row where the market's been negative three years in a row. It runs right after the Great Depression, right. like late 30s, and then um, 2000, 2001, and 2002. The only three years in a row that we've had. We've had several two-year periods in a row, like 73 and 74, where the market was down 40%. Right. Next two years, the market was up 60%. Okay. So... The volatility isn't new. It's been with us forever. It's just in your face with you know financial shows out there all the time. So the biggest point as you as you look at and you're 10 years out from retirement, one of your biggest things is, how, okay, I have a balanced portfolio. How do I get to the point where I have three years' worth of expenses, portfolio draws, and cash? So the first thing you need to do is say, here's my expenses in retirement, and here's my automatic income from, like, Social Security and pensions. So again, a, a simple math would be if you if you need 100 grand to pay your taxes, your expenses, healthcare costs, everything, and you're getting 50 from Social Security and pensions, you know that you need 50,000 a year from your portfolio. So five years prior to retirement, you need three years of that, or $150,000 in that person's scenario, in safe money. That takes out one of the biggest risks of timing in retirement, so that you you have three year cushion that you don't have to draw on the portfolio when you're in a down market. And then by the other strategies of dividend-paying stocks where they have a history of increasing their dividend on an annual basis to help fight inflation, balance portfolio, and then also having a good portion of your retirement income coming from lifetime sources that you can outlive, like Social Security or pension or your own annuitized income. We'll talk about that at seminars coming up. You can learn more about upcoming wealth preservation retirement planning seminars at robblack.com. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. He's a CFP, stands for Certified Financial Planner. It's his designation that makes him a fiduciary. He works in his client's best interest. You're listening to me, Rob Black, on the Wall Street Business Network. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. And you can always find me at robblack.com. Again, i got an event coming up at the Santa Clara Marriott, talking dividend stocks, uh, less than 10 seats available you can sign up at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. It's Thursday night, 6.30 to 9. Um, Disney did a big deal, and this is important. 
because Disney is ABC, they are ESPN. They're buying a company called Maker Studios for as much as $950 million. It's something we talked a little bit about last week. They're part of the studio behind some of that Harlem Shake viral video stuff, of which I think we could all kind of agree if we were all sober that the whole Harlem Shake phenomenon is a little bit silly. But, hey, when you see King LeBron James do it, you get that uh, people sometimes need silly. So Walt Disney's buying this Maker Studios for $500 million, becoming a major online video distributor. Price tag could rise to $950 million if Maker hits certain performance milestones. This gives Disney a strong foothold into online video content and technology. Maker was founded in 2009. They help produce and distribute videos to more than 380 million subscribers with access to more than 55,000 channels. Its videos now collectively garner some 5.5 billion views every month. That's stunning. That's a big number for a media company. Now, what's the barrier to entry? There's not a lot. Who are the people who can produce it? In, like, What's the barrier to entry to become ABC, CBS, NBC? It's pretty big. If you're trying to get an FCC license, it's pretty big. But there's also you know, the set that I work on in television, the Cron 4 sets. It's, its brand is worth a million plus. So how much can Maker Studios retain in value as a studio when there's no barriers to entry on that side of the fence of distribution like there is in the traditional side. So far, Disney's, a lot of their acquisitions have turned to gold, whether it be Marvel or Star Wars or Pixar. Interesting to watch from a distance. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, as he typically does this time every week, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. Briefing.com provides live, independent market analysis worldwide as well as domestically. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Morning, Rob. Doing fine. Thank you. Another day, another dollar. Market seems to continue to find ways to uh, move slightly higher. Uh, what's what's moving us today? Well, um, I think that uh, you're seeing some of the biotech stocks bounce back. Uh, they obviously got hammered over uh, the last several sessions, and uh, and I think too you're seeing the U.S. market draft a bit off of um, off the European uh, averages, which were up sharply uh, earlier today on um, on something in, in my estimation anyway on something that uh, always seems to put a lift on uh, in the markets and that's this idea that um, you know you're going to get potentially more monetary policy support uh, that was fed by a comment out of the uh, head of the Bundesbank uh, who 
essentially left the door open for the potential for a, a quantitative easing program in the ECB, which was um, uh, striking because Germany has been pretty uh, steadfast in its uh, desire to, uh, uh, to stay away from such things uh, in order to, you know, prevent inflation from getting out of control. So saw Europe uh, rally strongly off that, and that uh, helped set a good tone for the uh, early part of the uh, uh, morning session here for the U.S. market. So have we given up on the whole Russia-Ukraine story, or is, are we going to be revisiting that as a stock market again? Well, you know, it, it's all really going to depend in terms of what the market actually senses in terms of, uh, you know, how hard-hitting any potential economic sanctions can be. I mean, you know, objectively, Russia's gotten a slap on the wrist, frankly. I mean, you've knocked down a few of Putin's cronies, uh, freezing their assets, but uh, there hasn't been any spillover effects from those sanctions. In other words, you're not seeing um, <clears throat> the EU economy adversely impacted from saying, you know, from imposing some really hard-hitting economic sanctions on Russia. Um, and so the market isn't fearful of, of a, a broader event right now. And uh, it's kind of been down this road before where there's a lot of worst-case scenarios that get painted, uh, but it's going to operate now uh, from the standpoint that it will believe it when it sees it because it's been, uh, you know, it's heard the wolf being cried, you know, more than a few times now in the past five years, uh, and it's uh, sort of banking on this idea that those worst-case scenarios will not unfold. Now, that complacent mindset can really hurt if, you know, obviously if the, the – something that's entirely unexpected occurs, you know, if there's a full-fledged military action, right, or if, uh, you know, sanctions get handed down jointly between the EU and the, and the United States that, you know, maybe kill energy's, uh, Russia's energy sector. You know, I'm just saying, you know, those are the types of things that would really uh, resonate, but until stuff like that happens, uh, yeah, it's pretty much an attitude of uh, we'll get through this like we have all other things. Taking a look back at your earlier comments, speaking with Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com, you talked a little bit about biotechs, and in your morning page one, you mentioned how much they've been up basically in the last 14 months. It's, it's a stunning number, 65% last year, 20% through February 27th. Um, is it a biotech bubble? Is that just unique to biotechs right now and maybe some of the, you know, the Web 2.0 companies like the Amazons, the Netflix, the Teslas, some of the momentum names? Is the rest of the market safe? Yeah, well, you know, when it comes to the biotech space, I mean, we do think that there's certainly uh, evidence of, of speculative excess there uh, when you take into account that a number of biotech companies uh, don't even make any money, right? It's uh, conceptual um, uh positioning right now that, uh, you know, their pipelines are going to ultimately pay off and uh, and that they would generate some nice profits like, you know, like a Biogen or an Amgen does. But all in all, when you see gains of that magnitude um, and, and a clear evidence of, you know, chasing the performance, uh, it, it gets concerning, you know, and you can make that case for, for other stocks like you mentioned. I mean, we've talked about them before, um, you know, the, the Teslas, the Netflixes, the, you know, those types of names, um, the, the marijuana stocks, the fuel cell stocks, right? Um, it, it's just a, a 
it's human nature, if you will, um, you know, where it's just, you know, running with that momentum, but um, would encourage your listeners to uh, to take a look at any of the stock charts of the, of the fuel cell stocks, and they'll see that, uh, you know, a momentum cuts both ways, all right? So a lot of those have been cut in half in just the last, you know, week or so uh, because they were driven up purely on uh, on speculation and uh, and nothing else so but from a broader standpoint uh, you know we've said before you know you have a market that is is you know priced uh, pretty fairly right now uh, a little bit higher than some long-term averages but you have to take into account too that interest rates and inflation rates are lower now than they are uh, relative to where they were you know uh, during prior bubble periods. So we don't think from a broader standpoint that the market is grossly overvalued, but there's certainly many pockets of popular, uh, excuse me, of speculative excess that are apparent. So you bring up next question, higher interest rates in the future. Um, Fed President Plosser basically upped the numbers of what to expect at the end of 2015 and the end of 2016. Both of them um, are higher than where we are today. Uh, hit 3% by the end of 2015 and 4% by the end of 2016. What will that do to the markets in your guesstimation? Well, it all depends on the context in in which you get there. You know, if you're getting uh, a a escape velocity for the economy that's driven by a pickup in hiring activity and wage growth, um, that might not be as disruptive as it would be if, uh, like Plosser also said, if the market just kind of gets ahead of the Fed in, you know, in pricing in, you know, some type of inflation scenario or if it, you know, starts to lose, you know, faith in the Fed's stewardship of things, you know, then it becomes a different issue in terms of having to uh, hike up interest rates to sort of, you know, uh, react in that way. So, um, you know, it, it is, it, it's a lousy answer, I hate to say it, but it, it depends. You know, you just no, don't know what, what the future holds. I mean, uh, and, and even Plotter is saying, look, you know, um, those dots on those uh, on the, that are indicated for what, you know, the Fed funds rate, you know, might be, he, he said, you know, those aren't specific forecasts. That's what the, you know, Fed officials think they should be. But ultimately, it's going to be the data that they see in the interim period that, that will dictate where the Fed funds rate goes and how fast, you know, they will curtail the tapering plan. And um, But, you know, the future is uncertain, so it's really, you know, tough to say how the market is going to react uh, with the Fed funds rate at 3% because we don't know why it's going to be at 3% when it gets there. Okay. Now, the higher interest rates clearly lead to borrowing conversations, corporate borrowing to do buybacks, uh, corporate borrowing to build buildings, our borrowing to do mortgages, our borrowing to lower our debt levels or to make them a little bit easier. Um, Housing. We saw some new home sales as well as the Case-Shiller Index, both not great but also not horrible. It's kind of Goldilocksian in my eyes. Any thoughts yeah. on housing? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, with to the new home sales report today, you know, what that uh, indicated to me is, again, that this whole idea that, you know, weather is really the, the factor that has led to some disruptive economic data, that, that was blown out of the water today by the new home sales report. I mean, you had uh, new home sales down 16% in the West, but up 37% in the Midwest, right? <laughs> I mean, that that doesn't gel necessarily that all that nasty winter weather was uh, was really the, the factor there. Um, so that's, that's a little bit concerning. Um, you know, you're bound to see some, 
some price growth moderation here um, on, on the home sales front, you know, particularly since you're hearing some institutional investors already talk about, you know, not being able to find the same uh, uh, good you know, pricing concessions that they found, you know, a few years ago that uh, that enabled them to, you know, pick up some pretty good housing bargains. And so um, so that's to be expected. And, and housing overall, um, like you allude to, I mean, as mortgage rates go up, you know, affordability conditions will get pinched if you don't see, you know, stronger, you know, income growth. So uh, it could be a potential headwind if, uh, you know, if, if that becomes the case here. So, you know, housing is is okay, um, but it's certainly not going gangbusters. Keep in mind, new home sales were at you know an annual rate of about 440,000 uh, in February. That's not even half the rate they were back in 2002. So, I mean, we have come so far down that it's all relative in terms of the scale of improvement here. But, um, you know, you're seeing some volatility right now in the housing market, and there's some potential headwinds on the horizon that suggest it might not live up to the uh, bullish expectations a lot of people are suggesting uh, over the next year or so. We're speaking with Patrick O'Hara, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. We've got about a minute. Any final thoughts on what you're seeing out there that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that's uh, been of interest to me is, you know, as we uh, see, um, you know, a lot of uh, central banks, if you will, are, are trying to, quote, unquote, talk down their currencies. You know, they're trying to weaken them. You know, the ECB's doing it. Australia's done it. Uh, China is clearly allowing the, the yuan to, to weaken. Japan is aiming to do it. And it, it's going to be an interesting development there because, um, you know, it could potentially create some, some, some trade issues as everyone tries to sort of uh, shore up their export sector. And there's, you know, only so much demand out there. But, uh, you know, one of the interesting undercurrents here that's not getting a lot of attention, but uh, certainly okay. is worth keeping an eye on. Thanks very much. That is Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. As always, very insightful. Briefing provides independent live market analysis of the U.S. and international markets. There's so many features there. I can't even get into half of them right now. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. I'm Rob Black. Big IPO, $7.6 billion for King Digital. Candy Crush Saga has gone viral on smartphones. I've played it, um, embarrassingly. It's a great time kill. I haven't paid for any of the updated features or upgrades or anything like that. I'm not that desperate to show people in the world that I'm all that into bucket of chicken. But this is an upstart, and this is a company that three years ago basically had nothing, and then they hit a home run with one product. Big question is, um, and it's a digital product, it's a game on your phone. They're going to be worth $7.6 billion. 
7.6. Now, they did something smart, which you had to wait till you saw some of the filing notes to really judge it. They looked at Zynga, and the way Zynga priced themselves, they went the exact opposite. So they went with a lower valuation. King generated revenues of $1.8 billion last year. That's more than 10 times its 2012 revenues. So Zynga's revenue for 2013 was $873 million. So this is a much bigger player, and they're, char- they're pricing it much cheaper. So Candy Crush is currently tracking 20% below peak booking levels. So future growth is going to depend on the company's ability to diversify. The expected IPO price for the company, a fair value, is, isn't real. You know, it's cheaper than the top video game publishers out there, and that seems to be appropriate considering how few titles they have. King has a portfolio of 180 games, but its revenue is concentrated into three. Candy Crush Saga, <clears throat> Pet Rescue Saga, and Farm Hero Saga. So that's 94% of all their bookings in their fourth quarter. Keep in mind, keep in mind, it's going to be traded under the, on the NYSC under the ticker symbol King, K-I-N-G, that they're kind of company that they're trying to, like, patent names like Candy and Saga. Um, and I, that, that turns some people off. Some people don't care. Some people get on with their life and never think twice about it. But they did a smart thing by going for a cheaper valuation. Again, they're going to leave some money on the table, but uh, they're going to retain more shares if the company does well. That'll pay off well for them. So biotech stocks are rebounding today. They've had a huge run-up. European markets were boosted today after Bundesbank President Weedman signals ECB may be open to a quantitative easing program. Woo! Strength today in energy, healthcare. Industrials, materials, tech, weakness in consumer discretionary, financials, telecom, and utilities. company that's getting ready to come IPO, too, is Box. It's an online storage service that aims to become an essential part of cloud-based computing-based decisions and businesses. Now, Box is a Los Altos-based company. They filed a S-1 document. They said they are planning to raise up to $250 million with its IPO. So that would give it a valuation of about $2 billion. The ability to store and share files from both personal computers and mobile devices like smartphones and tablets is a hot area in technology. The nice thing about Box is it's making backup better. Downside about Box is there's a lot of competition. Online storage is not... I'm not going to say it, it, it has barriers to entry, but Box, companies like Dropbox... Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they're all in the business. And one thing that Box has done is smartly is spend to get clients because it's a subscription model. Once you get that online storage of your photos, and the nice thing is with these technologies, you could log on from your phone and show your friends your kids' photos. You could log on from your computer and, you know, take a look at your um, vacation photos. You can log on from, and you don't have to have all the storage on your device anymore. Box, quoting the research firm IDC, said digital information was expected to grow 300-fold from 2005 to 2020, increasing demand for storage. When we first started off with the Internet, we would download JPEG, and then we started downloading songs, and we started downloading movies, and then we started downloading high-definition movies. 
And all along, the, the file sizes have gotten bigger and bigger. Their revenue, uh, $58.8 million. Well, a year earlier. They're just losing tons of money. <laughs> so they've gone from $58 million to $124 million in revenue in one year. But their losses were $112 million all the way up to $168 million. So they're in the business of losing basically twice as much uh, no, no, not, that's not quite fair. They're losing a lot of money. But it's the subscription model. If Once they have your pictures, will you continue to pay them? Box said 40% of the Fortune 500 companies were paying customers. That's very interesting. That's a big number. We're going to have to see a lot of consolidation in this area. As data storage moves from a repository of information to a place where work is being created and discussed, systems like Box will have a lot more value to a business. So last year, Google moved its word processing and spreadsheet software into part of Google Drive, its storage service. Most net likely move is, you know, getting the tools to analyze the data that we're using. So Box needs the money to continue to lose money. And they're banking on that subscription model of, oh, we'll make money later. Interesting stuff. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. $55 billion leash with room to run. 82.5 million American households, or 68%, have domestic animals. Americans spent an all-time high last year on their pets, and that number continues to, to go higher and higher. There's a lot of plays. You should do a little bit of research on a trend like that. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Got a big event coming up in Santa Clara at the Marriott Thursday evening. Thursday evening from 6.30 to 9. There's not much space left in it, so you can sign up today. I'm going to be talking dividend achievers and picking dividend stocks. CFP Chad Burton will be talking about mistakes that people make in retirement. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. It's Rob Black and your money. Hey, it's Flint Lockwood here from Swallow Falls. My friends and I have just discovered these amazing living foodimals. But wait, we've also discovered a crisis that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggles with hunger. That's almost 17 million kids. Our mission is to help solve hunger by teaming up with the Feeding America Network to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks, helping connect children and families who face hunger to billions of pounds of food, reaching shelters, schools, and community centers in every county in America, including yours. Help Flint and the Feeding America network of food banks get food to the people who need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America food bank at feedingamerica.org slash hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. 516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call, 800-516-1220. 
Let's get to retirement. Let's figure out how to do this. First and foremost, I look at retirement as a million plus dollars. As a minimum, I think of retirement as age 60 to 100. I look at Social Security as nominal. And the younger you are, the more nominal it's going to be to funding your lifestyle. It was relevant 10, 20, 40, 60 years ago. Um, I had grandparents who lived long, long, long time in retirement, and Social Security was nice. It was helpful. But it's not going to help me much. So you want to start saving early for retirement. That's the whole point of the show. You want to get to a million dollars to four million dollars. A million dollars will pay you forty to sixty thousand dollars a year, adjusted for inflation, hopefully, till the day you die, hopefully, barring significant financial costs. So two million we'd pay you eighty to one twenty. Now some people could live off forty easily, some people can't live off one twenty at all. So let's say you have children who are kind of, say, lackadaisical. Maybe you want $3 million. Let's say you want, you know, a nice retirement so that you are generally traveling while you're healthy and young. Maybe you want $4 million. So how much do you need to save to get to a million dollars at retirement at age 20? It's nominal. At age 60, it's a lot. So at age 20, if you want to be a millionaire, you need to sock away $361 a month. If you get a 6% return. If you get higher, you can go down to, you know, if you get 10%, all you need is like $166. But let's say, that, let's say the economy is a little bit more mature and the higher returns aren't to be expected. So let's go with a 6. If you wait till age 25 from age 20, the difference is 361 to 499. If you wait another five years, you need to sock away $700 a month. If you wait another five years, it's $990 a month. So the difference between age 20 and 30 was double. Almost double. 360 to 690. Age 40, you have to sock away $1,400 a month. Age 45, $2,100 a month. Age 50, $3,400 a month. Age 55, 6000 a month. If you wait until age 60 and you want to retire at 65, you've got to sock away $14,000 a month. It's much easier to do it when you're younger. Finding $361. I know people who've gone to Mexico, to Thailand, to New York this year. And I assure you that is basically funding their whole retirement for two years. And they funded none of it. So if you start early, it, it's easy. If you wait too long, it's going to kill you. So if you get a 10% return, all you need to do is $94 at age 20. If you get an 8%, it's 188 So let's say you're 35. Let's you know figure our audience is 35 to 45, a lot of it. Some of it older, for sure. But they're not worried about getting to a million. They're worried about what do they do with their million. So you're going to need at least $600. You can see how these numbers play out. If anyone wants a copy of those numbers, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com, and I'll send you out a copy of those uh, data points of how much you need to save for retirement. Like I told you, I've got some friends who've traveled pretty extensively this year. Um, One of the big things that, you know, all of us like to do is spend money. It makes us feel good. It validates our hard work. Here's one area where you will never see me, because I'm just not that guy. Uh, Madison Square Garden, 
53-year wait to host an NCAA tournament game has helped regional round tickets surge to record levels. Some of the most expensive resale prices since ticket marketers, you know, like SeatGeek have started following the stuff. The average price for a ticket to a regional semifinal, 570 bucks. The average list price, up to 970 So that's a lot of money. Now, New York is always going to command top dollar for big sporting events. You get four very solid teams, one of which is local with a fairly large New York City fan base. It's nearly a perfect storm for ticket prices to be inflated. So, University of Virginia is 350 miles from New York City, so they're going to travel. Michigan State, 650 miles, they're going to travel. Um, so it's going to be a pretty crazy expenditure. And again, all I'm asking for is that you fund your retirement to the numbers that I talked about earlier, and, and then you'll be okay. If you want to spend money on this, that's fine. Starbucks, they're getting ready to roll out alcohol and tapas. And it could be a total flop or it could be a massive home run. How could it be a total flop? Have you been in a Starbucks? What they do is they make drinks and they make drinks fast. Now that you're suddenly taking an order where someone's going to say, can you put the cheese on the side? No. Or yes. So Starbucks is rapidly evolving its menu and it's easy to look at it as a surefire instant boost of sales, instant boost of, of profits. But in the long term, does it push us away from the store because it's no longer fast coffee? They've got bacon-wrapped dates that they're going to offer. <laughs> Who's going to be the first jerk to order a bacon-wrapped dates, hold the bacon? Uh, they've got Parmesan-crusted chicken skewers. Pretty healthy fare, it looks like. Preparation time is going to be a little bit longer. They're not going to roll people in and out. People are going to be standing around a little bit more. Now, rolling out alcohol and a little bit of food means you're going to have to have a wait staff out there helping people. Do you want another? Do you not want another? They're going to have to retrain their employees to morph them into waiters and waitresses. Tables have to be worked like a diner to optimize the amount of items being sold. It's going to be interesting. Um, they're going to have to hire additional workers for stores. And it could be a total flop. With that said, you can also see how it could be a massive home run. Hey, Jay, let's meet at Starbucks for a quick beer. Um, is that better than going into CD Bar? Or high-end bar? I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I, here's where I, I think I don't have the answer. The S&P 500 is up 3 today. The Dow is up 47. The Nasdaq down fractions. 10-year treasury sits at 2.73%. Markets are working higher. It's nice to see. I'm not going to get too caught up in it. Some of the big stories today, California has the second least affordable state for renters. Um, A worker who works $8 per hour, $9 per hour, would have to work for 130 hours a week to afford a two-bedroom rental. You can see that we have a problem with that. And again, rental markets, rentals are an important part of the ecology of, of homes. You don't want just homeowners. You want a mix of homeowners and renters. Some of the renters will rub your back at the gym. Some of the renters will serve you food at restaurants. Low-income workers need family members to pitch in to absorb high rents. A California family needs 3.3 full-time minimum wage earners to afford a two-bedroom house.
You can see that's not healthy. Oh, what else is there? You've got to earn about $54,000 annually to afford a two-bedroom rental. You do the math there. Um, it's a lot. No market more expensive than San Francisco or the Bay Area. Hey, you can find me online at robblack.com. Big event coming up at the Santa Clara Marriott Thursday evening from 630 to 9. I'm going to be talking dividends and how to find dividend achievers. CFP Chad Burton is going to be talking retirement pillars. You can sign up for either or event at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Don't be shy. There's angles that we could take, you know, all over the place to look at money in new ways. You know, the tragedies, I think, are the easiest ones to see on why you want an emergency fund. I've seen families destroyed because someone's ability to earn income is gone. For instance, I got a yesterday an email yesterday from a man who he's the primary earner in his family. And he's a good earner, you know, 160, 170, 180 in that range. Wife is a stay-at-home mom with kids. I was like, you don't have, you need term life insurance on yourself. He's like, I'm healthy. I'm like, okay, car hits you today, your your family is financially bankrupt. Good job. She also has to go back to work, or she has to remarry. You know, a bell ringer. It's, it's a, you have to get term life for at least 10 years of your income, at least. In a scenario where you're a middle-aged guy, under 40, a friend of mine, her husband, developed something with his spine, and basically his whole health broke down right after that. He can't walk. can't go to work. Disability insurance runs out. Um, it's not good. So, you always have to look at ways of doing money. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. SP 500's up 5, the Dow's up 67, the NASDAQ up 10. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Chad Burton is a certified financial planner with newfocusfinancial.com. Expenses in retirement significantly impact your retirement cash flow. Some studies studies suggest that retirement expenses may be 60 to 80% of your current expenses. I don't know if I trust any of these studies because we all differ like golden clay. Those studies are ridiculous. I don't know if they've ever looked at anybody when they actually retire. From my experience, people spend more money the first five years of retirement than when they were working. Now, every, almost every single time. Is it fair to say that age 60 to 70 in retirement, your expenses, you should probably count on 100% of what you're doing while you're working? Or it's, it's typically more. Okay, you think it's more. Okay. Because what happens when you retire, and I've, I've said this so many times on the air, I know, but it, it, still people have to be aware. When you're working, you get your health insurance paid for. Right. When you turn 65, you have to sign up for Medicare. Medicare Part A is free. Medicare Part B costs you over 115 bucks a month, but it's still not enough. So you need supplemental insurance, you need prescription drug coverage, and you need long-term care protection as well. 
on top of those costs. So you have to figure five to seven hundred dollars a month per person in retirement. You have to figure your expenses for your vacations. And a lot of retired people are now having to help their kids, Rob, because the unemployment rate coming out of college is is, is a little bit too high. Um, and you should focus on that now too. If you're you know forty years old planning for your kids' college education, and they come to you and they want to major in philosophy, yep. And you're going to send them to a high college cost for that. You are wasting your money because they're going to just be living on your couch or in your basement again. So, so what, beware of that. Having a budget is critically important. And let me explain how boring having a budget is. You have housing costs, garden, home repair, home insurance, landscaping, property taxes, rent, uh, telephone, utilities, waste disposal. You have transportation, bus, gas, insurance, license, parking, repairs, vehicle payment. You've got food and beverages, groceries, beverages, restaurants, personal work, appliances. You've got clothing. You've got entertainment. You've got education. You've got gifts that you want to give, medical and dental, obligations like child support, um, postage, life insurance, disability insurance, credit cards. You've got personal care like haircuts. Most people don't think of everything that you have to budget, and in retirement, you got no more. You're not going back to work. So it's critically important that you have a detailed budget that includes pets. You got a dog or cat in retirement, and the dog gets sick. That's a couple thousand dollars sometimes. You, I can't even start an investment portfolio plan for a person unless I know approximately what they're spending. Right. Because cash is king. Right. All right. So use the stupid term "cash is king" for any portfolio. And when you're younger, minimum of six months of expenses in your emergency reserves. If you're in like a, the tech industry, sales where people jump jobs all the time, yeah. or the healthcare sales industry where every two to three years they're working somewhere else. Um, a lot of times we'll have those families have at least a year. But when you're retired, it's key that you have three years' worth of expenses. And so I have to figure out how much I have to carve out of the rest of the portfolio to keep in cash outside of management. And then I can go based on how long somebody's going to live, what they need for expenses, and figure out how much they need in stocks, bonds, commodities, and real estate. Um, but the expenses, like, you know, those long-term projections and a good financial plan – also, in retirement, you have to have a very good detailed income plan, a spreadsheet that you can look at that says year over year over the next 10 years, where is my money going to come from? Which accounts am I going to be drawing from in retirement? Yeah. I can do that as long as I know what the expenses are. And that's key because you want to be comfortable in retirement and knowing where your dollar is going to come from out of which accounts because people are retiring with Ross, IRAs, 401ks, taxable accounts. And it gets confusing. Which one do I draw from first? And a comfortable retirement is, is one where you're very aware of where the money's going to come from. A couple expenses that may actually decrease in retirement, I've tried to think of them because we're going with a negative on increases, but your taxes probably will go down. If you do it right, yeah. Your um, move to a state that has lower tax bracket, and it will. Or move to a state that has no sales tax, and it will. Um, the mortgage probably paid off. That's an expense that should go down in retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would there be? Maybe a reverse mortgage where you could actually start drawing capital from your home and you're actually paying yourself instead of – you see where I'm trying to go with this? Yeah. So you know, if we hit these one at a time, um, the taxes that go down. If you do your income planning right, you can maintain a lower tax bracket in retirement. Okay. The problem is that people spend all their cash first and then their taxable accounts and then they hit their IRAs. And at 70 and a half, you're forced to pull a certain money out of your IRA accounts whether or not you want to. So you, Roth. you can have your Roth go total. Right. Roth, Roths don't have that minimum credit distribution. So people need to make sure that they're pulling they, – they look at their IRAs right from the start and pull enough out to maintain that 15% federal bracket from the beginning. That way they can have a, a low-level bracket for their entire lifetime rather than just put off the withdrawals forever. So 
that's how you have to deal with with that scenario. Um, other expenses that go down, it's really things like you know dry cleaning because you're not working anymore. Okay. Eating out should go down. Um, hopefully, but, hopefully your children's education costs have gone down. Right. Right. Otherwise, you're making babies at way too late of life. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that we need to know about uh, managing your cash flow in retirement? Well, no, it, it, again, it's you know, unfortunately, a lot of people go to a financial advisor. Yep. And if they're not asking you those detailed questions or requiring it as part of a comprehensive financial plan, and then they give you some basic boilerplate plan, and at the end of it says buy this annuity or this insurance product, you know you're going the wrong direction. There you go. It has to be personalized and tailored. Yep. And they have to actually get to know you. Because, like, if you have a special needs kid, I mean, there's just so many curveballs that could come up, and you don't want to see that. But anyway, you get the idea. I've been speaking with CFP Chad Burton. It's Certified Financial Planner Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, 800-516-1220. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. Call the show, 800-516-1220. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Big event coming up, Santa Clara Marriott. I'm going to be talking dividend, dividend achievers, how to buy them, which ones I like at this point in time. Sign up for the event. 6.30 to 9, Thursday, this Thursday, a couple days from now, at robblack.com. Before Wolf, this accident has been cleared off to the side. signs out there that pets are becoming a bigger consumer class, and there's money to be made there. Forget about Obamacare, pet insurance is quickly growing. Walmart just introduced, uh, last year, their entry into an industry with an average growth of 13% a year, following in the footsteps of outdoor gear retailer Kabbalah's, which introduced pet insurance to their employees in 2011. One in three Fortune 500 companies provide coverage. So you may be able to get this from your HR. It's something you should talk about. Less than 1% of America's 160 million cats and dogs are insured. And last year we spent about $14.4 billion as a nation on health insurance for our animals or on medical procedures for our animals. Pet training and getting their abs all scrunched so they have perfectly six-pack abs like all dogs should. Um, you don't just train the pit bulls. You don't just train the greyhounds. You've got to train all the animals now. Um, So it's more like a human fitness club than ever before. It's giving new meaning to the yoga pose, downward dog. Uh, Wearable fitness tracker market. They've got, now you can wear a device to see how active your dog is while you're at home. Well, while he's at home and you're at work. Um, So you can see if your dog's just laying around getting fat. I know, it's kind of funny, right? I know you're saying, who's going to do that? I kind of like the idea. I've got Maisie the Wonder Dog, who's a Vishla who's just amazing, and she's incredibly loving, and she's getting old, and it makes me sad. So knowing that I'm getting her the proper amount of exercise helps me. 
So health-conscious pets, uh, you're now starting to see organic food that was once, you know, in the realm of humans. More and more of it's going conscious for our pets. Uh, there's a company called Fresh Pet um, with freshly made pet foods that require refrigeration. This is a big chunk of spending for pet care of $58 billion in the U.S. $21.6 billion last year went to pet food. How about pet Einsteins? Now that you have a pet, you also have to make them smarter. That's, you know, mandatory. Pet toy makers are starting to spare no expense in making toys that are, you know, complicated. Um, there's a, a, a Puzzle Max game called the Nina Odyssey. It's a three-dimensional board for, with sliding panels. And your cat or your dog will get a treat as they open up the panels. You can put a treat at the bottom. And again, it's just encouraging your, your dog to be a problem solver, which maybe you don't want. Because maybe Maisie the Wonder Pet at this point in time is doing something at home that she doesn't, shouldn't be doing. Um, pets on pills. Now, we all have uh, thought about the idea of a little day drinking with a pill and just relaxing, trying to stay in that perfect zone on a Friday. But drugs that work on humans don't necessarily work as well on animals. So there's a huge, huge push for arthritis and cardiovascular disease pills for, uh, for dogs. Um, and you don't want to give your, kid, your dog liver or kidney problems you know, immediately, for taking something similar to you. So you're going to see an explosion of pills for pets. There was a newly IPO'd Zoetis, Z-O-E-T-I-S. Uh, they were spun off from Pfizer. I would imagine that they'll have plenty of growth for the foreseeable future. Uh, because, again, a lot of Americans delay marriage, and our pets are our babies. Or how about the diva pets? You know, we're dressing our animals in Gucci uh, which is just ridiculous, but I'd say something horrible right now. Like, I'd rather wear a miniature schnauzer than dress up a miniature schnauzer and help couture. Uh, pet penthouses. Some people have TVs for their, their animals now. Um, for instance, Disney has a kennel where you can, you know, put your pet up for a vacation where he gets the luxurious bed, he gets TV, um, it's called the D instead of the W. Uh, it's it's full size beds. The trend the trend is picking up momentum. Statistics say um, growth of about six point one percent from you know two thousand twelve two thousand thirteen up to four billion dollars. We're spending four billion dollars to house our pets. Amazing. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. There's money to be made in anything that I talk about. Otherwise, I want to talk about it. New home sales were a little bit weaker than expected. Existing home sales in the uh, Case-Shiller Index uh, showed some pretty good growth. But as the day has gone on, the market's gotten a bit weaker. The SP 500 is down fractions. The Dow's up 38. The Nasdaq is down 19. Some stocks out there. Walmart. They reported quarterly earnings this morning that missed expectations. Google struck a deal with eyewear maker Luxottica to bring Google Glass products to two of their biggest brands, Oakley and Ray-Bans. Disney has agreed to make uh, to buy Maker Studios. So it's a channel that has a stunning amount of people, and. Again, not a lot of barriers to entry, which makes me a little bit nervous. 
but they've got 55,000 channels on YouTube. They get 5.5 billion views every month, 380 million subscribers for their content. It's interesting to say the least. Um, it's interesting since Disney's ABC, and I've heard a lot of talk that ABC wants to get out of local news, uh, but I'll keep that to myself at this point in time. So back to the new home sales, a little bit weaker than expected. KB Homes um, would be a play on that. Lenar would be a play on that. You just got to decide, you know, is this the pause that refreshes or is this the next great move? Hey, big event coming up Santa Clara Thursday night at the Santa Clara Marriott tied towards income and retirement, dividends and retirement, mistakes people make in retirement, and much, much more. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Take care. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Hi, I'm Kelly Clarkson, and I've toured the country dozens of times, and there's one thing every state has in common. Childhood hunger. The sad truth. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.